OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. All right. Well, Diane, welcome. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today. And maybe, uh, maybe to kick things off, uh, we can, you can give us a little bit of a background of yourself, uh, kind of um, where you've come from, what you've been doing, and then we'll jump right into the questions. But just to give the audience uh, a few more details about yourself, outside of the fact that I've known you for a few years, I find you absolutely amazing when we're doing uh, screening meetings. You've got a lot of uh, great insights and it's been super helpful. I've learned a lot, so I'm excited to spend even more time with you to learn more today. Well, 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 thank you. Thank you for that, JP. And I've enjoyed you know, being with you in selection meetings. And fortunately, right now, they're also on hold and face to face like everything is. Um, but in terms of my background, so it's a bit varied. Um, you know, grew up in, in Mon born in England, grew up in Montreal and uh, got my first uh, job with Bell Canada. So worked in the telecommunications area for a couple of years. Uh, from there, went and joined uh, CP Rail actually Canadian Pacific and then the railway. So I worked in the railway for about 10 years, which was you know, completely different, right? You go from new technology to very old technology, but a company that was, in terms of how it managed its infrastructure, was bringing in new technology. Uh, and then from there, I went into the finance business in a beauty, well, actually, when it, I know so I had a, I had a short stint in terms of um, government. I worked for City of Mississauga, and then the province of Ontario for about five years combined, uh, which was another eye-opener, uh, just in terms of how um, uh, those organizations are managed and uh, um, not using technology to great extent at that point, but again, bringing it in. And then the last 20 years, 25 years was in the finance business. So with the AFCO and then Dominion Securities as an investment advisor, and I transitioned out of that career a couple of years ago. So now I focus on uh, giving back to the community, investing in startups, and all good stuff like that. That's amazing. I have so many questions around the railroad side because uh, as a kid and as an adult, it's always fascinated me. I've taken trains all over the world, but uh, uh, it's, um, it's a pretty incredible uh, form of transportation. So I can just imagine the amazing stories of innovation and slow change, but when they did it, it was probably massively impactful in that industry. So uh, that's pretty cool. So you mentioned a little bit about going from the, fin the, the FinTech space or finance space uh, into startups. So what got you interested in startups and how did you uh, come across the startup community? Uh, so it all went back to, so, my, so I got you know, started in, in startups. Uh, way back in 2009, uh, at the very first Golden Triangle Angel Network meeting, uh, a common friend of ours, Benton Leong, said, hey, Diane, I've been invited to this event. I have no idea what it's about. Uh, you know, TD's a sponsor and you work for RBC, uh, but I think I can get you in. You know, if we keep your connection to RBC kind of low, uh, low key. And so we went and it was at the Pines in Cambridge. And... Uh, you know, I still remember it. Lots of people were milling around. Companies were had displays, um, very similar to format as to what we see today. Three companies presented, and nobody knew really what to make of it. Like it was just, who are these people, and why are they brought me together? And is this a scam? Is this legit? 
<laughs> you know, it was just like, you know, it was kind of looking around and we had a good time. They fed as well, they watered as well, but like, it was just, anyway, um, you know, Rob Douglas was the MC, our good friend. And he said, well, there's going to be another one next month. And uh, went back next month and learned a little bit more and got hooked. And so that's, oh, that's awesome. I did. And, and I got hooked, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're going to ask me why I invest in startups. Well, I think it's a, it's a really exciting asset class, right? You've got all this energy. You've got all these young people who are committed to making a difference. And they are so passionate about what they're doing. And, and you know, okay, so not, not all of them are young, but the majority are. And they're passionate, and, but they need support, right? They need whether it's financial support, mentoring, um, help with the areas of business they don't know, just even help with business because they know their product. And it's just such a great asset class to be in. It bounces out my portfolio. I tend to be a bit more of a conservative investor on the, in the other things I do. And it's a great way to give back. It's a great way to give back to the community, but it's a great way to also help build the local economy. And so I do it for all of those reasons. And those are all fantastic reasons. I'm a big fan and, and do the same for those exact reasons. And I find that uh, when you, uh, you have a really interesting story of how it all started, and Benton, he's awesome. So it's a uh, uh, really awesome that it ties in with uh, with, with Benton uh, bringing into the fold. And and I guess when we were going through all of this, and over the last ten plus years that you've been investing in this different asset class, which I love that you've kind of really designated this out. There are so many different asset classes that you can invest in, and this being one of them. Uh, what's your favorite part of it? What do you really love about now after spending all this time in it? What really drives you to keep coming back well i, I think I, what i love i like that i love two different aspects of it so every month it's like going on a date right with three companies and they're all fresh they're all new they're all exciting uh, they all sound great they're all you know the potential at that very first meeting or those first couple of meetings is huge and it's so it's so um, I, I love the excitement of, about that, but like dating, right? The more you get to know the individual, and maybe there's a few warts or so. Um, but you know, I just love that piece of it. Uh, the second piece I love, which makes me keeps on coming back as well, is to be part of companies that I have invested in, uh, to be ongoing support for them, to help them through their their their, uh, their growth you know, their growth and, their, and the challenges they may have, the opportunities they may, may have. So I like the two pieces of it. No, that's, uh, that's great. I, I like the analogy of the dating. You're right. It's, uh, it's, it's three businesses coming in. It doesn't matter who they are, what they're about, as long as they can tell a great story. And then you got to decide from there which story you like the best and which one you can really dig into and learn more of. And every time you go back, there's more information coming to you and you just get a lot more excited about, oh, I really do want to be part of this company. And then you mentioned you want to dive into that company. So it, that means that you're really interested in and that could be diving in from many different angles. So um, is there a philosophy that you have when you're investing? Is it I invest in five companies a year or is there a number or is there I have to make sure that they're in different verticals? How do you figure out what you're going to do each year? Okay. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, I, I take a look at the beginning of each year in terms of how much I want to commit, uh, to this asset class. And, but I will, I, I, and in doing that, I'm also taking a look at my existing companies, the ones I've already invested in and what's the likelihood they are going to need capital that year. Um, 
you know, my philosophy is you support the ones you've already made a commitment to first, and then you take a look at what what might what else might be out there. Um, so that's that's what I do. Uh, I when I first started investing, I was all about IP. I wanted a company with really solid IP. And then pretty quickly, I think in the first six to 12 months, because I was working with some really great people, they were co-investing with really great people, they totally turned, turned my viewpoint. And it's all about the people now. So I'm investing in people. And so that's what I look for. I look for really great founders, a really great management team. That to me is critical, way more than IP or having you know, the best product in the marketplace. Is it a team that can deliver? Uh, is it a team that's uh, realistic about their capabilities, particularly the founder, right? You, you need in that founder, you need an odd combination. You need that combination of super confidence so that he or she can drive a business to success. But you also need uh, humility to the extent that they can take feedback and understand where their gaps might be and build a team that really is strong in all areas. And that's what I look for. And you know what, that's, I like what about that is that you went in with one hypothesis of what you think was the best way to go and approach it. And then you changed over time. You allowed for the environment to give you some feedback. You learned from it. And then you changed over and said, you know what, this isn't going to work if they don't have a fantastic founder. And okay. I, I think that uh, when you kind of take an overview of a business and their idea, you know, the idea probably plays a certain percentage of it, but really comes down to that owner. And I always think that uh, the owner for me has to be almost compulsive, crazy about their business. They know anything and everything about it, that you can't trap them on anything. They just know everything. And you're like, that's the person I want to get behind because you know, they're going to find every angle possible to make sure they're successful. And uh, those are, they're tough finds, but uh, I do 100% uh, think that that is a, a big component. And uh, like you mentioned, there's humility. There's a lot of different factors that really do build into that. So uh, that's um, that's some great uh, way of looking at it for sure. Uh, is there um, while you're making these uh, your investments or looking through all these? Is there a vertical that you like to focus on, or do you have multiple verticals? Or every year you're trying to populate kind of I got to find a healthcare this year versus next year is the there's a new hot item coming out, so I want to be in that sector. How do you kind of play inside of that space? Well, again, it goes back to the people, right? But, but no, I want to be diversified. So within my portfolio, I am, I am diversified. I, I don't want to be just in one vertical. I think that's way too, too risky. Um, so, you know, in terms of, I, look at, I was looking at my current portfolio right now, and, you know, I've got EdTech, I've got FinTech, I've got SaaS, I've got um, FoodTech, I've got, I've got a wide variety. Uh, what's important to me is that I can understand the business. Right, that I understand, and what I need to understand is, is why is this product, whatever it is, of value? Right, you can have products with all kinds of bells and whistles on them, but the customers not may may not value those bells and whistles, might not be prepared to pay for it. So, what's important to me is to really understand um, the uniqueness of the product, but why somebody is going to pay money for it. No, and that's a, that's a very valid point. It's the, I think sometimes we think and we get too enthralled in uh, all these bells and whistles and you look at this chart and it says, you know, we're in the best quadrant and we've got all of these features that no one has any. And 
when you look at it back at it and you say, but all of those other businesses are making money and they're really good at one thing and you're trying to do too many. So maybe there is a little bit of way of balancing this out and, and finding the little niche that's going to slot you in there to help correct the problem that's bigger. And I think that's that value part. So completely agree with that. That's, uh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, so now you've kind of, you found the company, they pitched, I guess you're fully dating right now. You're, you're going into the next stages. Is there uh, an overview that you look at from a, a deep dive perspective? Is there something that you mentioned a lot of focus on the founder uh, and on the, uh, the team and how well they're doing? Is there something more broad that you look for in the DD? Like, is there uh, documentation or things that you require in order to get you over the line? Uh, or does that not matter? No, it, so, so when I take a look at the DD, what's really important to me is whether you call it a business development plan, whether you call it uh, the customer plan, is really how well does this team understand the customer? How are they reaching out to that customer? How are they staying in touch with that customer? And how are they taking feedback from that customer and using it to inform uh, their business plan? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen individuals, you know, you talked about them being passionate, know everything about you know, their business. I've seen individuals like that, but they know it from their perspective. They don't know it from the customer's perspective. And unless you're talking to your customer, unless your customer is as excited about your product as you are and is prepared to pay for that product, then great. You've got a great product, but you haven't got a market. And so that's what I really go heavy on is that linkage to the customer. That's brilliant. And you, you're 100%. I love the way you stated that is that uh, what is their plan? Are, do they have this MVP product and is it in the hands of an actual person business using it? And what is the feedback they're giving? If you've got a, the quarterback in there running and, and driving this product, you definitely are going to have better legs than I've just got this well-built product. I get the space, but I can't find anybody to use the, the, the solution I've created. And you're not going to get anywhere if you don't find that right away. That's right. Yeah, you've got to be solving a problem that's got pain to it. And it's got enough pain that somebody's going to pay for your solution. Right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. hundred percent. Is there, uh, so now you've, uh, as you mentioned, you've, you've got a focus inside of the DD, you're pulling this out, you've got the team. Uh, is there anything else that you really want to make sure that really fully rounds this whole process for you so that you can start to make that commitment? Yeah. I, I, the other thing that really rounds the due diligence process for me, is, is the team really um, realistic about how much money it needs to raise, right? Uh, too often, I see teams that are so optimistic about how quickly we're going to make the sales. Here's my money's going to be coming in. I only need to raise so-and-so right now. And you understand why they want to do that, right? They don't want to dilute. Uh, don't want too much dilution. But, you know, the last thing you want is them to get going and then all of a sudden say, whoops, I've got to, I got to raise money again. And then your founder, the CEO, is distracted because he or she is out raising dollars when they should be, you know, uh, put to the floor talking to customers and making the sales or bringing in the right sales team. So that's the other big thing I focus on is realism around the size of the raise and how long that's going to last and what it's going to do for them. So does this put you, when you're pulling this type of detail out, does this put you more in the mix with the founder? Or are you really trying to now at this stage 
um, engage them more, spend a bit more time with them to kind of figure out how they see this. Because a lot of the times we see startups coming in asking for 200 or 500 or a million, and it might not be realistic to get them. They might say, oh, this is going to take me 18 months to use, but really it's probably an eight month runway. Is there, is this a point where you'll then start to engage more with that founder? It, it depends on my role in the due diligence team. I mean, I, I, I don't invest on my own. I invest as part of a formal angel group. And so, you know, we divvy up who's doing what. And so if that's my role, that's what I will do. Otherwise, you know, we have the conversation amongst the whole team and then somebody will drive that forward. Awesome. Assuming, they, assuming they agree with me, you know, I, I might be the outlier. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure there's any outlying in that, that perspective. There's certainly, uh, it, it is needed information. It does make sense that, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't ask the right questions or have somebody sharing a little bit more that has the knowledge, they're not going to get that far. Um, and you just mentioned that it's part of a team. It's part of a consortium that's, uh, that you're doing this part of G10 or equation. Is there, um, do you take uh, a lead on any of these investments or do you tend to, um, meaning through the group, will you take the lead uh, or will you just kind of blend it in with everybody else that's uh, part of that team? Yeah, I, I uh, in, in terms of being part of the team, I tend to blend in and just be part of the team. And, you know, if I need to put my hand up, I certainly do. And I've certainly, you know, taken on lead roles in terms of doing some of the due diligence. Uh, I typically haven't been the lead investor. Um, no, no reason for that. Just typically I haven't done it so far. And most of the time, leading can also mean leading sitting in the, still being in the bus and making sure you're able to have your voice heard, right? Leading doesn't always have to be through, finance or through um, the loudest spoken, it's just taking the leadership on driving this to get a raise completed. Uh, so there's a lot of different uh, pieces to that whole raise. So um, very good. So now you've kind of worked your, yourself through this process and now you get yourself right down to that next steps, which is I got to sign this paperwork. Is there anything here that you have preferred uh, structure to that you say, you know what, I, I don't like safes or I don't want to do it this way? or is it just open sky? Um, yeah, so in terms of my preferred structure for a deal, it's not open sky. Uh, I think like a lot of angels, I don't like safe because I think the, you know, to, a successful deal has to be a win-win for um, the investors and the company. And, and, and you're going in that on the basis of, of trust and mutual respect and mutual relationship. So I find safes are too weighted towards the company. Um, my, my preference is for common shares. Uh, I like to take an ownership piece in the company. Um, but you know, I've done, I've done prefs, I've done, I've done convertibles. Um, my, I concern about convertibles is yes, you know, typically you, you convert, uh, into common, but there's always the potential that somebody could, you know, uh, push the company into having to make a, a payment back. And so that, that concerns me. I want the company to have as much flexibility as it can. Um, because you know there's going to be hiccups. You know things are going to happen that aren't expected. Uh, so I want my companies to have flexibility to be able to deal with those hiccups and, and not be pushed into a situation which is uncomfortable. No, that makes sense. And you're right. There's a lot of ups and downs in the business. And again, uh, taking some uh, coaching or mentorship along the lines of what is the best way. A lot of the times it's legally driven or it's, it's driven by one person that may have a bit more knowledge in it and yeah. the founders sometimes don't really understand all the moving pieces. And then later on it can come back to burn everybody. So it, it is a good thing to line that up uh, previously and make sure you have a good 
almost a template, but at least something to work off that everybody's comfortable with and meets the needs of both sides. That's right. Exactly. Exactly right. Is um, you mentioned this earlier on in the conversation, which I think is great uh, that when you're looking at what you want to invest for the year in, you have uh, companies that you've already made investments in. So you're preparing for companies that may need reinvestment. So does this happen a lot? Do you have a percentage that you'll always go back into or you're hundred percent into every company that you've invested in once before? Um, okay. So in terms of follow-up investments, I'm not always hundred percent in, uh, but typically I'm at the table. Um, you know, I, uh, other than an, uh, an investment I did earlier in this year, I think every company that I've invested in so far, I've done, I've gone in multiple times. Um, you know, you've made a commitment to that company. You want it to be successful. Ideally, they're raising money because they are being successful, right? And this is the next plank in there, the next step in their growth strategy. Uh, but even when it's not, you've got to get them through the hiccups. And so, yeah, so I'm always, I'm always looking at that and uh, making sure I've got some, some money available. Should, should, that, should that arise? Uh, but that's one of the things I do like to hear from my companies is where are you? What, what kind of runway do you have? How long does it? When you're likely to need to raise again, you know, what might come along that could affect that. Oh, that's great. And, and it's good to know too. I think a lot of uh, startups, when they're going through the process, they make their first raise and they go to their second, a lot of investors will ask the question, are your existing investors coming back in again? And I've seen it many of times where they'll say, no, they're not coming back in. And the deal flow will start to fall apart because they think, well, if you're not going to go back in, well, why should I go in? There must be something wrong here. And it's not usually the case. A lot of investors tend to try and get money spread around and get into lots of different companies. But really at the end of the day, there has to be some base that allows you to continue to come back in because uh, that does show well and it does help. So uh, I like that you plan this out every year because it's huge. It is very helpful. Uh, the, um, the other side of it is because you're working so closely with uh, the team that's investing in these companies, do you also look at ways to uh, enhance that by putting in board seats or being part of the board? Uh, you know, uh, I, I am not currently a part of any, a board of any company. I, I certainly would be open to that where I could add value. Um, but as you know, JP, it's, you know, it depends on how big a, an investment um, you're making or this syndicate is making, whether or not a board seat's going to be available. And, um, you know, sometimes it is, but often it, often it isn't. Uh, but certainly in terms of being an informal advisor to the company, um, happy to play that role as well. No, I think that, uh, that that's huge. And I, I think a lot of companies don't think too much of this until they get further along, but it can really help out in the early stages, even if it's a small board. So sometimes it's good for them to ask the questions to uh, see if their advisors or their investors would like to come on uh, because it does, uh, we all need to roll up to something or someone because it gives us a driving force. It gives us somebody to push back on us. And a lot of the times I think that as an entrepreneur, we have this free for all and we forget that we have to be accountable somewhere and that accountability can be to a board. It can be to anything, but it helps. It really does help your, uh, your business and hitting your goals and your objectives. Well, absolutely, and the investors are they're already committed, right? They're, they're, they're committed to you, and uh, yeah, they might ask some uh, some uh, uncomfortable questions, but that's what they're that's what they're there for. Exactly. And if the question's uncomfortable, then you better find out the answer because <laughs> you don't want to be having uncomfortable questions thrown at you. No, I completely agree with that. 
is there in the investments that you're making, is there other things that you do with these companies outside of just being finance? It doesn't always have to be money as an investment. Um, obviously that's the starting point, but are there other things that you try to help these startups with throughout this process of growing their business? Uh, well, you know, I, absolutely. I think once you're invested, you know, with these early stage companies, uh, the role of an angel is to go beyond just money, is to be there for them as well. And so we've talked about being informal or formal mentors, uh, making connections in terms of sales. Uh, you know, you know, I open open up my Rolodex, I guess is the old fashioned term, but I open up my address book and uh, see if I can make connections for people. You know, that's that's company specific. Uh, in, in a broader sense, I'm I'm still very active in the angel community. I'm on the board of G10. I'm on the executive committee for Equation Angels. So I continue to work hard to make this whole ecosystem better and uh, so we can support these early stage companies. And it really is being part of a broad ecosystem and recognizing that and what, uh, you know, and what's good for the ecosystem is good for the companies. No, that's great. I'm a big fan of them as well. But you're right. It, it's, uh, it takes a lot of people to help build out this community to get more people interested, to get more people investing, and then all the things that they can do to help support all these different companies. Uh, and they're all going to have different needs and wants at different times, but the more people that can support around that is going to help them grow. Is there, uh, you know, based on the, the state of the markets right now, have you seen any pullback? Have you pulled back any? Uh, are you looking at it from as an opportunity right now? How are you kind of seeing the way that the markets have shifted? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. You know, I, I'm seeing a, a little, perhaps a little bit more caution, caution. Uh, certainly a little bit more concern as we already spent some time on around my you know, existing companies and are they likely to need funds? Um, because everybody believes, uh, I think, and I think it's valid, that it's going to be harder to do big raises. Um, particularly depending on which sector you're in. Um, I'm certainly seeing a lot of interest in the med tech space around, you know, COVID-19, testing, vaccines, you know, or anything that can help in that, in that space. There's, there's just huge interest. Um, and I mean, I think, and, and that's justified. I mean, clearly we're going to see manufacturing um, of PPEs and, and various um you know, come back onshore. Uh, so it's a huge space, but it's also going to be a space with lots of competition as well. So I'm a bit cautious about it. I mean, I see the opportunities, but there's lots of companies in the in that space right now. Yeah, it, it almost is that the opportunities are a little too hot. So everybody's kind of flocking to it. And then there's, uh, there becomes an imbalance because you have so many companies shifting out of what they're doing to go into this one space. And then they don't realize that this is short term and you have to build longevity out of this. And if you can't find a model that fits for longevity, then you're going to be out of it just as fast as you got into it. And that's, right. that's scary as well, right? Absolutely. Because with so many people coming in, there's going to be winners and losers. And uh, you have what it takes to be a winner. And that's a good point. There's uh, right now, just in the market itself, you've had a lot of companies that have, have stepped aside, that have failed. Um, other companies that have stepped up and done a great job of um, growing in this environment. And I think there's going to be a lot of shift and change in the next three to six months. Um, if you will, the doom and gloom is going through it now, but at the end of the day, there's always the outside and, and where do you, is your company ready to get to that stage? 
and hopefully uh, with yourselves and all the different angel groups, they're able to support those companies they have invested in to get them through those stages. Yeah. Is there, when you're looking at all the investments you've made and the 12 plus years or 12 years that you've been really focused in on uh, early stage companies, is there any advice or anything that you would look at that really you could pull from all these companies that have been successful or failed or have uh, just grown to, you know, 10% a year, whatever that might be. Is there something in there that you can pull out to say, you know what, here's one or three things that I would recommend every business really can do. Yeah. So in terms of the successful companies, the really successful companies, I think there's two things that have differentiated them and we've touched on these things earlier, but it's well worth repeating. One is, and the first is an unrelenting focus on the customer understanding what the customer needs, what, the, what, what has value to the customer, what the customer will pay for, and building out the product to meet those needs. It's not what you want, it's what the customer wants. And as part of that, you know, keep an eye on the competition as well. Uh, so making sure that you've got such an incredibly poor relationship with the customer, but seeing what, what's coming along outside of you that might disrupt that relationship and staying ahead of that. So that, that is number one critical. Uh, the second thing is, is your runway, making sure you've always got plenty of runway, uh, making sure, you know, you're getting as cash flow positive or neutral, looking at your burn rate and making sure that you're raising money before you need to raise money. You never want to raise money in a panic because you're about to run out. You always want to raise money before you need it. Uh, so it's not too much of a distraction. And so you can get the terms that you want versus the terms that somebody else might impose on you. And if you can do those two things, you're, you're, my experience is you're always going to be in good shape. No, that's, that's a really good valid point. I think a lot of the times, uh, if we're not close enough to the finance, we don't understand uh, how the business is shaping and running. And I'm a big fan of, uh, pushing the the CEO to be really engaged in that side of their business, regardless if they understand it or not. Um, you know, there's a lot of play on, can your CEO be tech enabled or business enabled? But a lot of the times you wear a million hats and the, the one hat you do have to wear, always wear is the finance side because you're the one mm -hmm. raising, you're the one growing the business. You need to understand your burn rate. And the, the, I found the hardest thing over years to, to shape and to share with a uh, CEO is that you got to make tough calls and those tough calls are going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do in business. But once you make them, eventually you'll start to realize that, you know, this is your business and you kind of have to do the things that are going to allow you to move it forward. And sometimes you got to make calls that aren't the best, but understanding your burn rate and understanding where you're positioned now and where you're going to be in six months uh, allows you to then start planning. Okay. If I got to raise a better start tomorrow, because if I don't, we're not going to be here in six months. And it's sometimes it's hard for businesses to wrap their head around that. I think we're as a society, we're probably too easygoing or too Canadian. And uh, sometimes we need to really step up and, and get outside our own comfort zone. And, and uh, the ones that do succeed are the ones that realize that and push it forward harder. Right. Absolutely. The, the ones that succeed, make the tough decisions, right? Whether it's around product, whether it's around burn rate finances or it's around people. Uh, you've got to have the right people on the team. And sometimes that requires tough decisions as well. Successful people are the ones that make the tough decisions. I like that line. That's, 
Very true. hundred uh, percent. So I think, I think now what I, I'm really curious of is that through all your experience, you must have some really good stories or some really exciting stories. And I'm, I know this is kind of off of the, the cues of the things that we were talking about, but I'd love to get what, a story from you of just something that really sticks in your mind that you saw with an early stage company that has gone on to be successful or whatever that might be. Just one of those moments where you're like, man, this is why I do this. It's so exciting. This company X did X and it was just amazing. Is there something that pops into mind when, when we're chatting to that? Well, I mean, it's uh, putting me on the spot because I hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to think about that. But, you know, I, I think this, this is a story that, it, you know, it's maybe not a wow moment, but it's a company I invested with in, and they were having lots of trouble finding the right vertical, right? They had a great product, uh, broad applicability, but, but they were struggling with which vertical do we go after? Who do we approach? And they approached, um, you know, a number, and they would always get expressions of interest, um, but w w wasn't really driving a lot of business. And then finally, they nailed it. Finally, they found the vertical where it was just the right time. They needed this technology. Uh, they were they were excited about it. They were prepared to pay for it. They were telling all that, you know, the, the customers were, were referring them like crazy because it was, it was working. And I think that was such like a, such a wonderful aha, like we've got it. Now we've got it. We've got a vertical. We're, we're, we're driving forward. And when you see that happen, it's just, it's just wonderful. But, you know, it goes back to everything we've been talking about. Know your customer, right? Focus on the customer. Keep on going after that right customer. And, and that, was, that was just a wonderful, uh, wonderful moment when they said, yeah, we make, we're making sales. Like we're making and people want us to come in. I get, we don't have to call them. They're calling us. Oh, that's the, that is the best part when they're calling you and you don't have to call them. And, uh, you know, it shows that you've built a funnel and you've got people interested in, in what you've solved. And you're right. That, that that's exciting to hear when, when that does occur. And, and we've seen it with so many companies where they're getting sales. It's just trickling along, but you know that there's something there and you're like, well, maybe try this vertical. And then yeah. they're out trying all these different things. And then boom, one sticks and the excitement level goes up and you, you just kind of feel that they just zoom it along, like just making everything work. So that's, uh, that's awesome to hear. Uh, so now I'm going to kind of get you to look into the crystal ball kind of thing for now. And so if you were to look in the crystal ball and say in the next 12 months, here's where you see a lot happening in this vertical or in this area, but then in the next three years, this is where we're going to land. Is there something that you can kind of predict that might share? Uh, we'll go back, of course, in a couple of years. We'll redo our interview and we'll see where uh, where we netted out on this. But kind of looking for what you see happening in the next 12 months and then where you see it's going to be in the next three years. Just to kind of help startups kind of figure out visually, if I'm going to start something, I should really focus maybe in these areas. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting question because, of course, like the pundits have been going crazy right now about how the world's going to change because of COVID-19. And I think the only thing that's accurate about that statement is the world is going to change because of COVID-19, but we're too close to it. We're way too close to have any real sense of how things change. I mean, I've been through big experiences before and everybody's made all these predictions. They've always turned out to be way off base because people don't react the way you think you're going to react. 
So one of the things, but one of the things I've been thinking about is that, and I was on a, I was on a call last night with somebody in the entertainment space. And of course, right now, lockdown, right? You can't really do a lot. But he's been talking to people, and his view is that about 75% of the population can't wait to get back out there. They want to be face-to-face with people. They want to be engaged. They want to be, like, like they're, they're tired of being stuck at home and doing things via Zoom. Nothing wrong with Zoom, right? But they just, it's not the same. So I think one big thing, and I don't know, I don't know how you, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I do think, ironically, I think a lot more is going online in terms of business, but in terms of personal, I think a lot more is coming face-to-face. Um, you know, that people will want to be out there engaging. And how you, how you translate that into a business, I'm not sure. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, um, SaaS, software as a service, cloud, all of that's going to become more prevalent. But locally, face-to-face experiences are going to be way more popular. I love that. My brain's running a mile a minute here. It's almost like changing all the spaces that were for business and pushing that to the home and allowing everybody else to get out and enjoy life and find spaces and be more together out there, which they're not doing so much now. And we're kind of living it right in in the today where everybody's um, trapped at home doing everything, but one thing that they're not doing, which is connecting with people. So I think you're right. There's going to be a lot of um, interest to figure out how to connect more and not through digital, but more face-to-face and make it more meaningful uh, and allow for that to be the transaction of the day versus business transactions, which when you think about it, business transactions can be done on video like we're doing now. We can transact this way, but then we can be way more personable and meeting each other and doing things that are more personable. So taking this reverse effect to it. I love that. You heard it here first. I love it. I love it. Now we just got to figure out how to get everybody to think that way because uh, business has always been conducted face to face and then personal stuff seems to be dwindling over the last decade because digital and business has taken your life over, right? That's right. But I mean, really, how many, how many of your Facebook friends have been the ones that have reached out to you, right? Yep. Yeah. More people can make real life changes doing this. Yeah, I like that. So it doesn't really give us a sector or an area to focus on. It just says that there's going to be some good changes and we have to be able to embrace them, but we also have to be open-minded to how those are going to change. And maybe that means reducing the amount of time we're working and more time being social and and being who we are than the reverse, which is letting business lead us. So it's a lot to think about. Yeah. But I'm so good at business. I wasn't going to give you an easy thing. How am I going to have to go out and talk to a lot more people? Small talk. <laughs> Sounds very crazy. I'm going to have to work hard at it. But uh, no, I, I love that. That's, that's good. So I, I guess we kind of went through this whole journey of starting off with uh, how and who you're looking for when you're making that investment into these uh, uh, passionate driven CEOs, building great teams, finding out the best way to sort and organize uh, your DD and how you're going to get through to the, the next stage, which is helping these startups at every capacity. And, and now we've kind of gone into the crystal ball. Is there any last thoughts or comments you want to throw out about what, what you love? Not so much about, um, I guess it's all comes down to the startup, but is there anything you want to share just to kind of 
anecdotal information that you say, you know what, here's something great that I want to share. So, cause we're open to everything. <laughs> yeah, I always feel like put on the spot. All of the great startups out there that are going to learn from a, an awesome angel. So any last words you want to share? Let's do it now. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, I don't know any, all I, all I can say is, you know, being a CEO of a startup is, 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 is the best, I think the best job in the world. Uh, I wish I was available when I was, you know, the right age to do that. Uh, and be relentless, be passionate, be persistent. Just go for it. Go for it every day and enjoy every single day. Even the hard days when you've got to make the tough decisions because you're growing, you're learning, and you're doing something meaningful. And that's, that, that's all I can say. I love it. Well, I've taken, as I show everybody, I've taken lots of notes. I'm very uh, <laughs> uh, old school in this sense, but it, it allows for, uh, for me to break through all this great information. But I think the, the last line that really sums up the interview today or the discussion we've had, uh, fireside chat, is go for it. If you're a CEO, just go for it. Make the choices, make the decisions, and look for people to interact with. Find ways to ask questions, solve problems and get people behind you, but just go for it. I love it. Well, Diane, thank you very much for your time today. I got to learn a lot about you, and I think this is fantastic. And I'm excited for uh, our next screening meetings, whenever those get back on the, the grid again. But I, I wish you a fantastic day, and thanks again for all your time. You're welcome.